morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, and we'll put you right at the top of the list get your question answered. I can actually hear now because i got my ears cleaned out. Old Dr. Fazio was real nice to go ahead and pull that wax out of my ears. <laughs> <laughs> got you straightened out now. Oh, uh, huh? yeah, man. I was getting to where I couldn't hardly hear. I'd go in the shower, and all i get was a ringing in my ears. Uh, <laughs> So I'm either going deaf or I got wax mirrors, one or the other. <laughs> he did a fine job, man. I was in and out about 15 minutes. That's the great part. Oh, yeah. That's you know. my preferred way to have to deal with oh, the medical yeah. profession if I have to, <laughs> is yeah. in and out. Yeah, if I have to. Yeah, I tend to avoid it at all possible. That's it. And not to say anything bad about it. Oh, exactly. You do a wonderful job, but it's just not something that I really relish going to do. It's kind of like going to the dentist, you know? Oh, yeah, just one yeah. of the things, things I got to do, gotta do. I sure don't look forward to it. That's Boy, it. I'm a real coward when it comes to that. Hey, let's go to our phone lines with Bob Good. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. 2002 GMC Envy, uh-huh. I'm sorry, Envoy with yes, air suspension. Uh-huh. I bought the bags, and they come out easy, but how do you get the little holes out of the top? Most of that requires a special little tool or at least a knack. It's going to have a little retainer of some sort right there at the hose. You've got to push two of the tabs down, push in, and then pull back out. It's this, kind, of, kind of tricky. Brian, you so do got a round. It's a round ring where the hose goes into the solenoid? Yes. What I usually do is take a flat pair of Nino's pliers. Open them up just wide enough to go around the hose, but not crimp down on the hose. Mm-hmm. Use those to push the retaining ring up. Then you can grab the hose and it pulls right out. Oh, push the retaining ring up. Yeah. Push the retaining ring into in the solenoid, the away from the hose, and then grab the hose and pull it out yeah. while you're still and you still hold tension. Push the hose in a little bit and then pull it out. Kind of like a quick connect. Kind exactly. of, yeah. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very it's, much. It's made to assemble quick on the assembly line, and they really don't care too much about us having to take them back apart. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Appreciate yeah. it. Yes, you're sir. welcome. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. And, you know, it's more and more common that they're using these quick connects and quick disconnects and things like that, not only on something like this airline, but on heater hoses and just about everything on the car. And like we said earlier, it makes it easier and faster on the assembly line. They can just snap it together, whereas before they had to slip a line over a fitting of some sort and then put a clamp and tighten it down. This just clicks together. It's a piece of plastic. It works out real well for them. But it does make it a lot more difficult when you get ready to disassemble. I know a lot of the connectors, like the wiring harness and stuff, you have to have some kind of special tool to poke down in there, separate the connector, and then you can pull it apart. Although it's much quicker for them on the semi-line, they click at one time and they're done. Not only that, but in all fairness, it does make a good connection and holds up real well. They don't come loose like some of the other things did because once they're snapped in, they're really in there. It's just when you get ready to take it apart, you either got to have the tool to do it or you got to have the knack to do it. Fuel filters are another thing, some kind of special little thing you have to get in there and depress a clip of some sort. Then you can go ahead and take it apart. Just kind of the way they're making stuff nowadays. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in, don't care to call in, something occurs to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. That'll get you there. There's a contact bar there on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Sometimes, almost immediately, just well, depends on what time of day it comes in. Quite often, I am sitting there at the computer, and if time goes off, I'm going to answer it right away. Other times, you know, within 24 hours, you will right. always get an answer from me. I never ignore emails, so if you don't get an answer, check your return address. Sometimes I do get them, and the return address is wrong, and when I send it, it just bounces back to me. Right. But if you haven't got an answer within 24 hours, you just go ahead and resend that rascal, and I'm sure we will get you one. I never, ever, ever will avoid or <laughs> ignore anybody. There I'll, you go. I'll always reply to every single one. 
every time you go to that site, you're going to notice things that have changed. Right. It's because, constantly uh, updated. Yeah, we constantly, constantly work on that site. I mean, every single, there's not a day that goes by that we don't change or add or update something on it. So each time you go, you will be seeing new things. Something new that we just added was an RSS feed for the new detailed topics, which new detailed topics are sort of like little news stories that describe topics in much, much better detail. Than right, more in depth. Show. Right, sort of like there's one on there now, saving money and getting a far better auto repair. And it just tells you how to talk with the shop, how to go about getting your car fixed so that you will not only save money, but you'll get a far better repair. Right. Deal. Those are available on RSS feed, if, for those who know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Internet Explorer 7 or higher, you just click on the RSS button and tell it you want to subscribe. And every time a new article is added, it'll automatically send it to you which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, uh, so you don't even have to do anything, and then when you want to get off of it, you just unsubscribe to it, and wham, you're out of there. That's one kind of neat thing, and just tons of other stuff. Go ahead and pop on and look around and see what you think. I think you'll enjoy it. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. Look at it and see what you think. I think you have a good time. And we got Jerry online. Good morning, Jerry. Hi, guys. Yes, sir. I really appreciate your program. Thank I you, enjoy sir. it every Saturday. Yes, sir. I got a mystery. I've got a '93 Civic Honda Civic. Uh-huh. It's a four-cylinder with a five-speed, uh-huh. and probably five or six times. And this thing runs like a champ. You wouldn't believe. I mean, everybody laughs at me, but it's getting 40 miles per gallon. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not unloading it, no matter what anybody says. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the dang thing will not start sometimes. Yeah, probably after it's been sitting out in the sun for a while. That's a possibility. I, yeah. I have not been able to, to get it together. Jerry, but, I, I can't tell you conclusively, but I can tell you what's real common. Okay. And it's called a PCMI relay. That is the relay that controls the fuel injection. It's up under the middle of the console in the car, and they have a real nasty habit. Generally, it's after the car's been sitting out in the sun for a while. You get it, it'll just crank and crank and crank and won't start. And then all of a sudden, boom, it'll start and it'll run fine. It may run fine for another well, two weeks. Now you tell me after I've had it towed twice. Yeah, and <laughs> when you tow it to the shop, when it gets there, it just cranks right up. Yeah. Hey, the AAA is going to dump me this. Well, thing. I'm going to tell you, it's probably cheaper to replace that relay, even if that's not, the, than it would be to have it towed again. I hear you. So, yeah, that relay is about $60 okay. and it takes about 15, 20 minutes I mean, to change. And we're talking about this thing turns over and over and It'll over. It'll crank but, and crank, right. but it just won't we'll start because the injectors aren't firing. Okay. And uh, it's a little tricky to change. You might want to bring it into the shop and let us change it for you. Or if you're real handy, you might change it yourself. But well, I'm not that handy. Yeah, if you're not handy, I mean, the, the charge for change is real minimal. When I usually do something, we have to have more repairs. Done. <laughs> <laughs> that, you got to go to the doctor and get Band-Aids. And, I'm one of those kind of guys. Yeah, I hear you. Probably around 100 bucks, you can change the thing. Okay. Maybe something else, but, boy, that's just a real common issue on them, and it does exactly I'm what you're saying. I'm not kidding you. It's happening. The last couple times it's happened after having it towed, you know, mm-hmm. and then getting it to the shop and right. then it cranks, cranks over. Right every, that one guy kept it for a day and a half. Yeah. Every single time it cranked over. Mm-hmm. So the last time, I just leave it setting. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually sympathize with that guy who's having to work on because I've had him come in, and it does exactly we're going to keep him for a week, and every single time cranks right up. Yeah. And if that's happening, there's just nothing because it doesn't store a code or anything. But that's just a very common thing. I fix an awful lot of them by changing that. So it's worth a try. All right. All righty. Listen, I appreciate it, guys. You all right, have a great, great weekend. Thank you, sir. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Royce online. Good morning, Royce. Yes, sir. I have a 98 Ranger. This is four-cylinder one with the eight plugs. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I lost my turn signals. I checked all the, the fuses. Uh-huh. Uh, I have running lights. I have tail lights. I have brake lights. I have flashers. I just don't have any turn signal. Yes, sir. There's a number of things that can cause that, Royce. The least expensive thing would be a bad flasher unit. 
You know, it does have a little flashing no. unit that makes it flash, and that acts almost like a circuit breaker. And if it's bad, it's not going to send power out to the lights, even though it's got power to the stalk. Okay, so they won't even light up. No, they won't do anything because it, when it breaks, it's just like you got them on the off position. Right. And that'll be constant on either side. Now, the other thing is the turn signal switch itself can go yeah, bad. Yeah, I'm afraid of that. And another thing is the way that, well, you said you had brake lights, though? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, yeah, I would say I'd flash your unit or possibly the turn signal switch. That switch, that blinker unit is real cheap. I mean, like three or four bucks. And it's kind of difficult to find, but once you find it, it's pretty easy to change. It just plugs in. In okay. fact, there's probably two of them, one for the emergency flashes and one right, for the turn signals. Right. Do the emergency flashes still work? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Emergency flashes still work. See if you can find that one. You know, just turn them on and reach on in and find what's clicking. Okay. Unplug it and put that flasher on the turn signal. See if the turn signal's not working. Right. There's one there. other thing, and that'll happen, I guess, what I can see about the same time, is I lost my odometer. And I guess it's all mechanical. I mean, it's no digital, nothing digital. I'm not real sure, Royce. Not too many vehicles from the 90s on up are actually mechanical. They have a servo motor inside the odometer that drives it, but it has a speed sensor that it reads off of. Now, that could be wire or ground under the dash that's going bad. They both occur at the same time. Okay. And that's going to be much more difficult to find. Right. Yeah. One thing you may want to check, too, on that flasher unit I have seen the contacts inside the wow. column on the switch itself go bad. Mm-hmm. You can right. run the hazard switch up and down a few times, yeah, five or six, eight times, again. and the blinkers will start working again. Right. I ran into that on a uh, Crown Vic the other day. Yeah. It was a 97 Crown Vic, which should be about the same similar, si- similar. system. Yeah, Yeah. try pushing it on and off, on and off several times to see, see if, if the blinkers don't again. start working. If, if they, they do, do the switch. then yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. And we've got Richard online. Good morning, Richard. Hey, how's it going? Great, um, man. Yeah, I got a 1995 Honda Accord uh-huh. four-cylinder, uh-huh. and I've had several things happen. Two things happen to it. One is sort of like that last guy you just talked to with the modometer. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll be driving, and it'll be working fine, and all of a sudden, it'll blink dead on me. Okay. And Now, does the know, speedometer go out at the same time? Yeah, the speedometer, just, and it's like, yeah, there's the needle just drops to zero. Okay. It doesn't work, and, you know, I'm thinking... Do you get anything else happening at that time? Like, does it have an automatic transmission? Uh, yeah. Does a little D-light blink? Actually, no. It doesn't, that doesn't happen? Uh, does it have anti-lock brakes on it? I don't believe so. Yeah, okay. Cause the reason I'm saying is there's a part called a speed sensor, a vehicle speed sensor. Right. And when it goes bad, generally you're going to lose your speedometer, at least temporarily. But a lot of times, if you have ABS brakes, ABS light will come on. Uh-huh. If you don't have them, of course, it won't do it. And if you have an automatic transmission, sometimes a little D-light will start blinking at you because okay. the transmission uses the same sensor. Right, so it might just be that little, that little uh, sensor. Chances the are table. that goes bad more than anything else. Now, the wires going to it can also get roughed up and loose right. and have a connection. And I have changed a few dash panels out in Hondas. Oh, okay. You know, just the, the gauge itself goes out. So how often does it happen? All the time. I mean, yeah, well, it happens you know. pretty consistently. You could find that very easily. Your shop could locate it very easily because they could go in and just hook up to the speed sensor, go drive mm-hmm. the car. If it occurs, if I'm still getting a signal from the speed sensor and I'm not getting a speedometer reading, then I know the speedometer cluster is bad. If the right. signal drops out, then I know the sensor is bad. Okay. And so it's, it's pretty easy to diagnose. Yeah, it's easy to do the sensors and the, the clusters, all right? You know, six one half dozen others far as, as ease, they both take probably about an hour to change. Okay. The cluster, you would probably do best to go to a salvage yard and try to find you a used one or go on the Internet and find you a used one because right. uh, they're pretty pricey from Honda. But 
You know, last time we changed one, guy went on the internet, and I think about fifty bucks he found a user. We put it in for him and worked fine. Okay. Now the other thing, real quick, was the I came home one night and I saw a tail light stuck on. Okay. And I know the light switch wasn't on. Uh-huh. And I was wondering, um, check the switch and everything, but the tail lights just stayed on. <laughs> yeah, that's normally one of two things, Richard. And next time it does it, jiggle your your brake pedal and see if they go off. Uh huh. Is it tail lights or brake lights, or can you tell? I think it's just the, the tail lights themselves. Well, you need to know for sure because if it's just the tail lights, then you've got probably some kind of short. If it's the brake lights, which is much more common, what happens? The brake light switch is a little pressure switch, and the pedal comes up and hits it. Right. And that knocks it off. There's uh-huh. a little rubber button in that brake light switch that actually hits that thing, and a little rubber button will break off and fall off in time, and then it gets a little sensitive, and sometimes it'll come up enough and turn it off. Sometimes it won't. Uh, so that's so the most be, common thing. Yeah. So hopefully it's just like, that's pretty easy. To that's very easy. Yeah, just right. replace that little rubber button. Now, what you can do next time it does it is get somebody to watch the lights. Go in there and just take the brake pedal with your hand and pull up and see if it go out immediately. Uh-huh. If they do, that's most likely your problem. Oh, well, thank you very much. Okay, sir. Richard. Bye-bye. All right. Got time for another call? Or need to take a break? Yeah, he says, go ahead. So <laughs> we're going back to our phone lines with Harry. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. I have a 2006 Chevrolet Avalanche. Uh-huh. And I've developed a noise in the front end. Okay. It's definitely related to the tires because every time you you slow down, you hear the noise goes like that. Uh-huh. It sounds. I thought it was the little telltale for the uh, brakes, but they say it's not that. No, no, that that'll make a squeal, loud, high pitched mm-hmm. squeal. And, and I tell you, unless you got a gajillion miles, it's probably not going to be brakes. Those generally go around 150,000 miles. If it's like at real low speed, like rolling in a parking lot, and with a slight turn, and it's like a clock, 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 clock. I don't no, know if that's the kind of noise you're talking about. It doesn't make any difference whether it's turning or going straight. Okay, it's low speed though, parking lot speed. No, it's, it's all speed. All speed. Mm-hmm. Well. You can, that's not a common noise. I'd have to hear that one to tell you. I would suspect possibly a wheel bearing. They do have some trouble with the wheel bearings in those. That almost sounds like the noise Brian and I were alluding to is the steering column. Those are notorious for making a clunking noise. Yeah, it does that. I know that. Yeah, they all do that. Okay. <laughs> Just ignore that one. Yeah. Man, I would suspect probably if, it, if it's cyclical with the speed of the wheel and kind of stops when you stop, I would suspect possibly a wheel bearing going bad. Okay, what I was kind of thinking. If you apply the brakes a little bit, does the noise change or go away? No. Okay. I would have to go back with the wheel. Yeah, because well, sometimes if you just touch the brake pedal and it goes away, it could be the pads are rattling in the brake caliper. I've seen that, too. No, uh, the, sec- the second you touch that, just lightly touch the brake pedal, it tightens up and it goes away. But Yeah, I'm going to suspect the wheel bearing there, Harry. What you might want to try to do is just jack it up and just turn that wheel by hand and see if you can pick up on the same noise. Okay. Uh, yeah, it won't be as loud because no load on it, but you'll be right there at it. So now, chances are you can hear it. Those wheel bearings do have noise in them. When you jack them up and turn them, mm-hmm. it sounds like balls are falling as you're turning the wheel bearing. There's uh-huh. nothing wrong with that wheel bearing if it does that when you lift it up. Yeah, as long as it's not the noise. As long as it's not the noise you're hearing. What I'm alluding to is if you hear a noise in it, it sounds like steel like, balls falling as you're turning the wheel. They pretty much all that's, do that. Yeah, it's pretty much a normal noise. No, this is more like a, this is more like a, a, something is hitting, you know, something grinding. Yeah, that and you, know, you might just check, like, make sure the backing plate, that mm-hmm. tin shield behind the rotor isn't touching on the rotor anywhere. Right. You know, that can all, you kind of bend it away. A lot of times those will kind of touch and make that kind of a noise. Okay. All righty. Okay, thank you. Okay, Harry, right. thank you. Bye-bye. I'm all right, we're going to take a quick little break. Mike, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best I get your kicks 
on Route 66. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Mike Smith patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Morning. Yes, sir. I've got an 81 CJ7 that the guy at a light line told me had an 84 Cherokee engine in line six, mm -hmm. but it's got a Weber carb on it. And I've been having problems with it for a while. I bet. So, <laughs> It, uh, for a while, it was just whistling, you know, kind of annoying, and then every now and then it would kind of stall out. Yeah. Now it, I got to keep the gas pressed down. Yeah. In order to keep, keep it, it running. You know, yeah, that's pretty much typical carburetor type things, yep. Mike. You're gonna have a, a heck of a time finding anybody knows how to work on that. And the Webers are not a bad carburetor, but they are a carburetor, and they are ticky, and they need to be adjusted. There is several idle adjustments. There's gonna be two of them down at the base that you can actually set the mixture with, and there's another one for idle speed. And your problem's going to be somewhere in there. Oh, okay. But like I say, it's going to be kind of difficult to find anybody yeah. who knows enough about it to probably do you much good. You know, it's, it's just kind of a lost art. And nobody's learning about them because they're not ever coming back. So none of the newer mechanics are going to learn how to work on carburetors. It's just, just a talent they're not ever going to use. So you have to find somebody who's old enough to remember those and you know, knows and hadn't forgot everything he knew. <laughs> not so old he's forgot everything he knew. <laughs> it's most likely going to be an adjustment issue. Yeah, I played with it a little bit, and mm -hmm. I, I couldn't get it. They're tricky, one man. Time I yeah. got it too. They're real tricky, real ticky. You know, and when you adjust one thing, it throws the other thing off, and you got to sit there and play with them. Okay. Two, if it sits a lot, it may have topped up something in the carburetor. They were kind of bad about that too. You may, end up, you may have to end up taking it off, kind of going through it, blowing all the passageways out, putting it back together. You just really need to find yourself a good carburetor guy and let him kind of look at it and see. Yeah, we really get spoiled with fuel injection, boy. Don't remember how those carburetors were. Uh, I had them in old Hondas, but. Yeah, <laughs> I just got this one as a, a toy, and it's been more of a... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and you see, you got to remember, a carburetor that came on a car was manufactured, engineered, and designed for that car. A Weber is a universal aftermarket carburetor stuck on something with a different engine that came in it. So it's going to be very, very problematic. It's not going to be something that's going to be a lot of fun unless you know an awful lot about it and can keep it running yourself. Yeah, I, was, I had one more little question about sure, it. Go Does ahead. it have a ground off of it? Because there's a wire that's off of it that's not connected to anything. Could very well be. Again, when you get into something that's been modified that much, you just got to kind of throw all the books away, get in there and try to figure out what you got. That's not going to be your dying problem because the carburetor doesn't care if it's got a ground or not. Right. It totally works off physics. Your air flows in. It's a Venturi effect, and it monitors air. There's no kind of electronic or electrical connection to it whatsoever. 
So the carburetor doesn't care. But, yeah, it's probably got the grounds off. It's probably got everything else off. You know, you're just going to have to kind of get in there and figure out where it all goes. It just depends on the skill of the guy who did the engine swap and all that and how much he cared about what he was doing. Uh, I think it was a personal job, so it's probably going to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's normally what you get into with that kind of stuff. You might go try to find a manual on it and just kind of flip. You're going to learn a whole lot more than you want to know. But that's really the only way to ever get that kind of stuff straightened out is just get the book and just kind of start tinkering with it. Not really much of anything you can hurt on that one. So it's pretty simple stuff. Oh, good. All right, thanks. Okay, Mike. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Thanks, too. All right. Yeah, that's advice you would never give on a new car. Oh, exactly. <laughs> just get in there and start tinkering around. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but you know, on those old ones, there just wasn't hardly anything you could hurt anyway. Well, that's Everything it. Everything was basic mechanics and physics, you know, right. so you wasn't going to really do a whole lot of damage, and you might fix your problem while new ones. Oh, yeah, you don't, you don't start tinkering in no, there. No, you can cause way, way more problems than you ever hope to yeah. fix. Or Tie- hope to get anybody else to fix. Yeah, <laughs> tying to the wrong wire, boy, That's you right. are in trouble. Yeah. Well, going back to our phone, I was with Gerald. Good morning, Gerald. Good morning, Lewis. How That's are we doing this morning? Doing great, sir. See, here, I got a 02 Hyundai Sonata. Okay. I very rarely drive this thing. You mm-hmm. know, wife drives it. So, but the other morning, a few weeks back, I got in early one morning, mm-hmm. and, and this little thing will run. See, got 7,000 miles on it, and I probably put 300 on it since we had it. Mm-hmm. I got out there on the road, and it was early one morning, probably around 630. I had to go down the road and the store, and I showered down on it. It moved, and I made it move. It flagged the engine light on me. Yeah, did it flash at you? It came on and stayed on until I got back, and then it didn't come on no more. Well, when you cycle a key, it's going to go off and put it in history, and it won't go on again until you reduplicate those conditions. Most of the time, if you've got a check engine light on heavy acceleration, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be an EGR code, the exhaust gas recycle valve slammed wide open and stuck, or it's going to be a misfire. And you're just going to have to read the codes and see. It'll be a PO300 if it's a misfire code. And if that's the case, you've got to find out why it's misfiring. Is it common to one cylinder or common to all the cylinders? And then you go from there. It's an EGR code, and it's not occurring again you may be okay. It may have just temporarily stuck. You know, if the car is not driven a whole lot, you go out there and you chow down on it, the valve flies wide open, and it may stick in that position. When you turn it off and start it again, it may go back to normal. So I would kind of watch it and see if the light does not come back on, I probably wouldn't be overly concerned. I was just thinking because she puts around all the time behind yeah. the wheel of it. And well, that's exactly you know, right. lost his mind and said, well, hey, man, what are you doing yeah, here? Yeah, you know? and it does. It does. It, it learns the way you drive, and you're throwing something totally different in there. You know, the EGR valve probably has never opened more than maybe a quarter of the way open. All of a sudden, it's wide open. So, like anything, mechanic just slams wide open and sticks in that position. Right. You turn it off, it may release the magnetism. It may drop on back in. So, again, if it doesn't occur again, I wouldn't be overly concerned because it's not going to go away. If, if it's a problem, it's going to come back. Right. It's just when you cycle ignition, it moves it to history and starts off fresh. It's looking for that condition to occur again. So right, just, just kind of watch it and see. If it doesn't come back, don't worry about it. If it does, you have to get the codes checked and see what kind of codes you got in there. Say if it does come back, the one thing you don't want to do is unhook the battery no, and clear don't, it. Don't ever do that because that then would, you've destroyed all right. the information that we need to fix the car. Gotcha. And it gets real expensive to try to fix that if you don't have those codes in there. I understand. All righty. Yeah, you had a caller there just a while ago about mm-hmm. some brake lights staying on. Yes, uh-huh. mm-hmm. That happened on this car right here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... It was a brake light switch itself. Yeah, most but, uh, time it is. Having to get up under there and have to adjust that little switch or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm six foot two, kind of hard to get yep. up under. You know? <laughs> Especially some, in a Hyundai. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are easy, some of them aren't. Yeah. All I did was I took electrical tape and wrapped around the brake arm itself. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. About three mm-hmm. or four times, you know, and that yeah. solved the problem. Cruise yeah, anything to increase that. Anything just to decrease that distance between the, the thing. Now, uh, on the Honda, there's actually a little rubber 
stopper that goes there. It does the same thing, and it just gets old. It falls out, and they're about thirty cents, and you can change them in about ten minutes. So it's probably yeah. easier to put tape on it. But yeah, anything to decrease that distance between the pedal and the thing. Now I've also seen a brake booster go bad, and the pedal doesn't return all the way and make that happen. So you know, you you can get all kind of little weird stuff. But. Yeah, well, just quick fix. I yep. got tired of going outside in the morning time, you know, and lighting. Yeah, you know. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all all right, Jerry. Man, thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you, man. Bye bye. And we're going our phone lines with Ellis. Good morning, Ellis. Yeah, good morning. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Listen, I've got a 98 Lincoln Mark 8 okay. that I bought used. It's uh-huh. got about 130,000 miles on it. And when yes. I bought it, I was under the impression that they had serviced the transmission somewhere prior to my getting it. Uh-huh. Now, I, I can't verify that. Yes, sir. I've driven it about 30,000, and I took it in place the other day, asked him to uh, change a fluid, and I asked him to drain the bell housing and do the because I want to change everything. Yes, sir. And the shop refused to do it because they were afraid that the uh, car might not move after they... <laughs> now, I understand about the, the high detergent transmission fluid. Yeah, and the, that's not the case, Ellis. A proper service can never, ever, ever hurt the car and can well, buy you some time. That's kind of what I thought. Now, this is where that comes from. There's two different types of services. One is a proper service where we drop the pan, we replace the filter, we replace the fluid, we retark the valve body bolts, we adjust the linkage, and we check the inputs from the throttle position sensor, so on. That's a proper service. There's also a service known as a flush. Now, where this comes from, a flush, what they do is they just disconnect one of the cooler lines, run some clean fluid through a filthy, dirty transmission. Now, that has a couple of problems involved. Number one is it doesn't address the filter, which is the real problem more so than the fluid. The second is it can stir up the debris that's naturally in the pan and further restrict the filter. So you do not want a flush. What well, you want I, is a proper they, service. They, yeah, I specifically questioned them on the flush, and they said they didn't do it. Okay. I told them, you know, pull the pan, change the filter. Right. Okay. Second well, side of the coin is this, and it's a more a psychological thing with the shop. They've got a transmission here. It's got 135,000 miles, and it's probably never been serviced. Okay? May or may not. May or may not. So the odds are that transmission is going to die at some point anyway. Now, if they service it and it dies next week, who's going to get blamed? Well, the average customer might blame the shop, but I'm not going to. Correct. But that's what the average customer is going to do. So, therefore, they're just playing the odds. They say, you know, if we don't touch it at all, it may die next week. If we touch it and it dies next week, we're to blame. The risk outweighs the reward. And a lot of shops have that attitude. I generally, when I'm looking at a high-mileage unit that may or may not have been serviced, I try to warn the client up front, say, look, you know, we may work on this thing, and it may die next week. If we don't work on it, it may die next week. It's kind of like a 100-year-old man who never ate carrots. One day eats a carrot, next day he dies. Well, did the carrot kill him? You got it. (laughs) So as long as we have a reasonable customer like yourself, we would have no problem servicing that unit at all. And I can tell you, a proper service can absolutely not hurt it. No way it's going to hurt it. Fluid has conditioner in it, which is going to condition the seals. It can even soften a hard seal to a certain degree. It can't undo the damage that's done. And if you drop the pan and the pan is all full of metal and there's a roller bearing laid in the pan, well, you know pretty much there. So it gives you a kind of a good heads up that, hey, something's coming. But, no, a, a proper service can never hurt the unit. Well, the transmission works fine. Mm-hmm. The only complaint I got is they have the lockout where it engages at about 37 miles an hour, and that's a pain with it jumping in and out. But uh-huh. I can actually uh, manually disconnect the converter lockup so you just undo it when you're 
traveling around in. Yeah, and that's probably an external problem outside of the transmission. That's more likely going to be something like a brake light switch that's maybe a little too sensitive or starting to go out. It could be something like a throttle position sensor that is starting to go out, and it'll cause it to kind of hunt gears, you know, go in and out, in and out, in and out like that. You know, since you mentioned throttle position sensor, mm -hmm. when I come up to a stop, about every third time it will go into that hunt mode where it seems like it can't quite find idle, but no right. check light comes on. Right. That could very easily be. And again, that's what a good service, they're probably going to hook a scan tool to it, particularly if you mentioned, if you came to us and you mentioned that problem, I'm going to hook a scan tool up and I'm going to look at the inputs to the transmission. Because that is very likely going to be a problem on the outside of the unit. That's probably not going to be an internal problem. But it could turn into an internal problem if it's neglected. Well, what you're saying really makes sense because I know when it goes in that lockup, it does it real hard sometimes. Yes, sir. That could very easily be the... the uh, it could be, yes, sir. It doesn't know where throttle is at, so it's just going to kind of go to a default mode, which is high pressure. Okay. Well, I was just worried. I would just want... I didn't think it would hurt the transmission, but no, I sir. just thought I'd call the expert. Yes, sir. There you go. All right. Hey, we appreciate you, man. Uh, Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. And we've got Carl online. Good morning, Carl. Oh, good morning. I got a 2001 Z71. Okay. That it's a four-wheel drive. And yes, sir. Every now and then, the four-wheel drive light comes on yes, like for maintenance. And I had all the fluids changed in it yes, and all that. Yeah, it's not a maintenance light at all, Carl. What that is is saying that something in the four-wheel drive system is not engaging when it should. And I can tell you, almost all the time, it's the switch on the dash. Those have a huge failure rate. We change them probably a couple of weeks. Pretty easy to change, takes about 10 minutes. Part is about 80 bucks. That is almost always the case. Now, to be certain, what you have to do is go to someone with a Tech 2 and they can plug in and it actually sets a code for that. But that's the most common repair we find on it. There are a couple of other things that can do it. There's a solenoid up on the front differential that kicks it in and out of four wheel drive, and there's a motor in the transfer case. But most of the time, it's a switch on the dash. We're going to take one more quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Louis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Louis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Give us some good advice. There you go. <laughs> At least give us some advice. <laughs> I don't know how good it'll be, but we'll give you some advice. Uh, that's it. That much. <laughs> just in case you don't get a chance to call in today, don't care to call in, don't care to be on the radio. You can always visit the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email, and he'll get it back to you. You can also type your criteria into the search bar, 
and come up with oh, questions yeah. that have already been asked and answered. And oh, yeah. And there's actually three databases on there now. There's one, Agco Questions, which is all about our company. If you're interested in doing business with us, you know, how much do you charge for a diagnosis? What are your hours? What kind of credit cards you take? All that sort of thing. Right. The other one is Vehicle Questions, which are questions specific to cars. These are the ones where people call in on a radio show with a question that I feel is interesting. I jot down some notes or they send me an email. Then I go in and type out the question with the answer. Right. And there are several hundred of those in there. And most of the time, you will be able to find the answer to your question if you just go in and search the vehicle question section. A new section that we just added is the glossary. And what the glossary is, is any type of words, automotive-type words that are used on the site, we have them in the glossary with a definition. So you can click on that, little A, B, C, D, E, click on that, it'll bring you right. to the section, scroll down, find the word. And if there's an automotive term that you don't know the meaning to that you're interested in, if you send me an email, I'll add it to the glossary for you. And that way it'll continue to grow and get better and better and better. For instance, somebody tells you you need a TPS. Right. And well, what's a TPS? Yeah, maybe you're shy to ask, but right. you don't know what it is. You don't <laughs> want to ask, you don't want to look yeah, well, you, like you don't know. You could go on here and, and look it up, or you could just email, and I'll add it to there. That way everybody, because I wrote all the ones that I could possibly think of in there. Right. But there's, there's several probably hundred millions more that I don't yeah. know about that never occurred to me. So if people will go ahead and just... Do me the favor of sending me a little reminder. Hey, I, I was looking for such such. I couldn't find it. And I'll put it in there. And there that way, go. the next guy comes along, he'll be able to find it. So just and he won't have to ask the, the embarrassing question. That's right. Just a way to be nice to your neighbors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? Get involved, volunteer. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Something kind of neat you can do. We'll build up a good little database for the folks in Baton Rouge where nobody will have to be embarrassed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you don't know something, you just look it right up. So pop in there and look around, see what you think. All sorts of good things in there. You can also there's a couple of real nice calculators where you can calculate the cost of a car. Compare one car to another car, whether you're thinking about buying, you compare a used car to a new car, you can compare the cost of keeping your present car to the cost of buying a car. You can take cars with different fuel mileage and see how much money you'll actually save dollars-wise. So just all sorts of things you can do on www.agcoauto, A-G-C-O, Altazan's Garage Company, or A Good Company. There you go. You I like to, that. How you want to think about it. And pop on there and see what you think. Absolutely nothing for sale. There's no pop-ups. There's nothing. Nobody's going to try to sell you anything. It's That's just, right. Nobody's going to bother you. That's right. Just good information. We have an awful lot of folks who've gone to that site. I'm looking at the little thing right now. 784,299 folks have been on there. So fairly Pretty pop popular. Pretty popular site for a local site. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing, doing great. I have a 99 Lexus okay. LS400. Yes, sir. With about 160-some-odd thousand miles Okay. Mark. And it's running fine. Nothing's wrong with it. I was told by one of my sons that on general principles, I should go and have the timing belt changed. What do you think about that? Bill, I'd have to look. I'm not 100% sure. Some of those have a timing chain. Right. And I'm not sure on the 4-liter if it's a belt or a chain. Been a while since I worked on a 4-liter. I'd have to look at it. Why don't you fire me off an email and I'll look it up. If it's a chain, you don't have to fool with it. Uh -huh. If it's a belt, unless it's been changed before, you're way, 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 way past due. Uh -huh. And if it breaks, you will lose the engine. Right. No bones about it. The valve's going to hit the pistons, and it's done. It's over. Uh -huh. It'd be a $10,000 repair. So if you would send me an email, I'll go to service data and look it up for you. I know the 3-liter is a belt. The 4.7 is a belt. They used a lot of belts in that time frame, but some of them, I think, were also changed. So, now, this is a Lexus now. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. He I, meant I, Toyota. I meant Toyota, uh, Lexus. 4-liter is actually unique only to the Lexus. Toyota doesn't use it. But they did use a lot of belts back in that era. They're starting to get away from that now. Almost everything's going to chain. You know, the three, new 3.5 has a chain, and the new 2.4 has a chain. 
So I just have to look it up. My memory just doesn't serve me that well. If it does need it, what does something like that cost? It's fairly pricey, probably nine hundred to a thousand bucks oh, if you okay. do it right. It's cheaper than a Cheap, new cheaper than a new motor, believe me, and being left on the side road. But the reason it gets to that price, Bill, is because when you go in there, what you're going to want to do is you're going to change the water pump, you're going to change the camshaft seals, the crankshaft seal, the oil pump seal the tensioners, the rollers, the outside belts, and there's everything in that area because you're paying a whole lot of money for labor to get in there. So what you don't want to do is go just put a belt on it, and then six months later, the water pump starts leaking. You go spend all the money to go back and put a water pump, and then a year later, the oil seal starts leaking, and you spend all that money to go back and change the oil seal. Yeah, gotcha. You do it once, you're done with it. I mean, you put another 160,000 miles on it. Yeah, I just put a new starter in it, and that was traumatic. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're kind of pricey, yeah. but, right, well, uh, but they do last an awful long time. That's, that's a good thing about them. Okay, thank you. Okay, Bill. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. And we've got Will online. Good morning, Will. Good morning, y'all. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2004 Z71 half-ton. Okay. And it's got about 160,000 miles on Okay. And about two months ago, the transfer case just all of a sudden just decided every now and then it wanted to go into neutral. Okay. Yeah, they'll do that. And... I've asked a couple of mechanic friends. They never even heard of that before. Really? I mean, is that something in the transfer case? Normally, there's a, there's actually a plastic slide fork that moves the gear back and forth to kick in and out, and okay. that slide fork wires and a little servo motor that moves it, and it just can't move it enough. Is and that so external? It, or no, it's internal. It's internal. Yeah, it's got to come out and come apart to, to fix oh, wow. it. And while you're in there, you might as well go ahead and change the chain uh-huh. because it's going to be stretched You know, that kind of mileage, and you're already is in it? there, so... Is that just as pricey as just changing the whole transfer case? Oh, or no. no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh-uh. No, okay. you're better off to fix it. No, we can go in and do that. I'd have to look up the parts prices and all. Mm-hmm. I would imagine you would be six, $700, but, I mean, the right. transfer case is probably 2500 Oh, okay. Okay. So, all right. Well, uh, look, I wouldn't leave it yeah. wrong because what it'll do, you could actually end up breaking some stuff. If it gets partially engaged and, and you happen to go into four-wheel drive, it, it could tear some stuff up. Or it yep. can actually jump into four-wheel drive sometimes. What yeah, more it kind of, jumped in the full load one time. Yeah, mm, yeah. you go along, you start hearing, you know, yes, it's trying to go in full drive, and that's real damaging. So, yeah, I'd get that looked at pretty quick. Do you mind if I ask you one other sure, quick question? This truck's had a pretty rough life. I farmed for the first 100,000 miles uh-huh. of and I've changed the shocks. The leaf springs look fine. It just rides terrible. I mean, just going down like the 110 or something yeah. like that, I mean, it feels like it's about to throw you off today. Most likely, Will, that's going to be your tires, the type of tire you got on there. And you may have some big mud grips because that's what you need to do what you need to do. And they're great in the mud and they're great for traction, but they ain't a ride worth a hoot. Do you um, reckon it is a tire? Most of the time it is, and especially if you got like a load C tire on there that takes a lot of air. I do have eight plies on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a low D tire, man. It's on a half ton truck. It's going to bounce you behind off. Of course, yes, the type of use you're giving, that's what you need, you know? Yes, sir. So you kind of got to just put up with the rough ride to get the traction and, and the durability of the tire. Okay. You know, if you're using it off the road a lot, you don't want a little old P metric tire on there because you're going to tear it all to pieces. Yes, sir. But you're just going to have to kind of put up with the rough ride. Okay. All righty. All right, thank you. Thank you, man. Bye bye. We've got Kevin online. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, sir. I think I already know the answer to this, but okay. I figure I'd call y'all and just, just see if you can help me out anyway. I got a 03 uh, Bourbon, and used to do it when I, when it reached 2,000 RPMs, but when I have the air conditioner on, my engine make, starts making a terrible noise. Okay. You turn it off and it goes away? Yes. Yeah, they had some trouble on those things, Kevin, with the air conditioner. What happens under certain conditions, liquid refrigerant is returned to the air conditioning compressor. It just goes through the system and gets back, and the compressor can't compress a liquid. So it pretty much tears the compressor up real quick. But GM's got several bulletins out for that, one including a flash update to the computer software to help with it. Another is sort of a revised, like a filter thing that you put in line, 
and the ultimate fix is generally replacing the compressor. That's what I thought. But if you just change the compressor without doing the other stuff, it may turn again. Okay. How much are we talking about? It gets pretty pricey, man. I mean, you're probably up in $1,500 range at least, you know, depending on what else is wrong with it. Well, how many miles on it? It's only about 60000 Yeah, low mileage. There's a fan clutch that can go bad that'll cause the compressor to overwork and cause the same thing. But at that low mileage, I don't think that would be a concern. Important thing is don't just put a compressor on there. Get somebody who knows what they're doing to go in and actually diagnose the problem. If not, you can end up doing it over again. Okay. It's bad enough the first time. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, okay, Kevin. It. Thank you, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take one quick little break. Barry, you hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing. Just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon! Where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech Brian Terry here with me. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. And we got Barry who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good, Good great, sir. I've got a couple of questions. Okay. My son has a 2001 Chevy Cavalier, and he tells me the ABS light is on. Okay. And the other one is he needs a sh- he needs shocks, he tells me, and he, and he did some checking around, and they're telling him that, uh, it really has struts on it. It does. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering what the difference is and about how, what does it cost well, to, first, to do that. Well, last things first, a strut is merely a shock that supports weight. In other words, it's a different design. A shock absorber bolted between the frame and the body and just kind of went up and down, damp in motion. A strut does that also, but it, it is actually a structural component of the car. Okay. So it kind of takes the place of the upper control arm. used to be on old cars. So they are kind of pricey. It depends what kind of strut you want to put on. Put junk on, and you can put good stuff on. Or original equipment. Five, six hundred bucks okay. for a pair of them. I would be, how many miles on the car? Yeah, about a hundred thousand. I go drive the car myself, see if it's bouncing or floating around excessively, or if they're leaking. If they're not, they're probably not worn out even at a hundred thousand. They last a long time. Okay. Now, that's one of the most oversold things. Next to yeah, wallet flushes some- and you know, fuel injection flushes and transmission flushes. Shocks and struts are about the most favorite thing people like to sell. He more said, than likely, you got a bad tire on it. Yeah, that's, that's way, way more tire common. Around. We've replaced the tires. We had erratic wear on it, but he says it's really bottoming out. Yeah, well, it's, it's possible. It's possible. I just check it and make sure before you go okay. spend a whole lot of money still doing the same thing. On the ABS question, that is an electrical system that monitors the regular brakes. doesn't have anything to do with your regular brakes. It's strictly electrical. When the light is on, you do not have any lock brake function, which right. means... If a wheel can lock up if you hit them hard, kind of like cars did for the last 75 years before they had that. Uh-huh. It's a nice feature to have, particularly if you live where there's ice and snow, which is not a whole lot of down here. 
repair starts out by reading the codes in what they call the body control module or the chassis control module. It's going to have a code stored as to why the light is on. And there's any one of about 500 things that can make that happen. Some of them are real minor, like a wheel speed sensor. Some of them are real major, like an electronic brake control unit. You just have to retrieve the code and see where to go from there. Occasionally, it's something real easy, like a bad connection or something. Occasionally, it's a complete module unit, which is thousands of dollars. So you just have to get it checked, find out why the light is on, and then decide if you want to fix it and go from there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, great. All Appreciate right. it. Okay, Barry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Boy, I tell you, we How about that, huh? finished up with show them all the out. same time we finished up with, <laughs> with time there. You know, it worked out real well. So you get a chance to pop on the website. Why don't you go in there and look around, see what you think. I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but I just would like Very everybody proud to. Very Yeah. I like everybody to avail themselves of it because it's a real nice resource. And it's geared mostly for the folks here in Baton Rouge, although we do have people from all over the world going That's on it. there. I get emails from Germany and England and Australia. Australia. Quite a few from Australia, I guess, because they speak English. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they don't speak English in Germany, and I get them from there, too. So, yeah, well. Uh, yeah, I even had a guy from France the other day. Got, he popped in there and kind of broken English, but he uh, got his message got his, across. Yeah, got his point through. Huh? <laughs> a whole lot better than I would have done trying to email him in French, I can assure you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, pop in there and look around, see what you think. It's not a sales site. It's not geared for promotion. And obviously it tells you about ACO, but it's not all about ACO. It's more about information on cars, right? all sorts of good things. There's also the detailed auto topic section, which just has, like, if you want to know about oil filters or you want to know about timing belts, that's where you go. It's got just article after article on these things. More in-depth. What's the real truth about right. this? There's also an article on there that I wish everybody in the world could read, and that is... Well, I call it the sad truth, and it's about the extended oil change intervals. Uh-huh. The auto makers are just hell bent on getting us to go seven, eight, nine, ten thousand miles between oil changes. But you got to remember that they're in the business of selling new cars. Exactly. I mean, how much are you going to save fifty, sixty dollars a year not doing a couple of oil changes? Right. And how much are you going to risk? Because if you come in with valve guide seals so hard that it fell off and it's pumping oil out and big blue cloud of smoke every time you start it up, it's too late. You got a two thousand to twenty five hundred dollar repair bill that could have been prevented by changing that all a little bit more frequently. So you're not ever going to save enough money on all changes to pay for something like that. A single rear main seal. Right. That can be anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 to repair. Very easily. Seal gets hard because the oil, you know, it, the oil may not oxidize, but it loses its additives. It gets sludge buildup in it. It gets all kinds of things that you can only get out with a drain and fill. Right. And it's just not cost effective. It's just not something you really want to do. And by the time you know about it, it'll it's be too, too late. late. Exactly. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>